Okay, we're on, uh, we're starting the second half of Luke chapter 1. Uh, in your notes there, it would say day 4 notes. Day 4. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 80. And so, I'll read it, and then we'll review it. Uh, verse 39. During those days, Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you who believe, that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on will all ages call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age on those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. Mary remained with her about three months, and then returned to her home. When the time arrived for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy toward her, and they rejoiced with her. When they came on the eighth day to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said in reply, No, he will be called John. But they answered her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name. So they made signs, asking his father what he wished him to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote, John is his name. And all were amazed. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue freed, and he spoke, blessing God. Then fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these matters were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard these things took them to heart, saying, What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. Then Zechariah, his father, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and brought redemption to his people. He has raised up a horn for our salvation within the, within the house of David, his servant, even as he promised through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to be mindful of his holy covenant and of the oath he swore to Abraham our father and to grant us that, rescued from the hand of enemies without fear, we might worship him in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, hold it, did I? Yeah. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the daybreak from on high will visit us, to shine on those who sit in darkness and death's shadow, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The child, be, the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. All right. Well, those are our stories today. We've got the um, we've got several things here. We start off with the uh, visitation. Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth to help her at the end of her pregnancy. All right, Luke, you remember um, how far ahead, how much older is John the Baptist than Jesus? Six months. Six months, very good. John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. Elizabeth was six months ahead. And so when Mary received the angel Gabriel and she said yes, and she became pregnant with Jesus, it says she went in haste to her cousin Elizabeth. Well, where does she live? Uh, the town is called Anna Karim in Israel. And it's about 80 miles from Nazareth down to Anna Karim. So Mary's hoofing it. She's walking about 80 miles to get there. And um, I wonder, how old's Mary? What do, you, what do we think? 14, 15 years of age. That's what most people think. She's about a 15-year-old girl. I wonder if anybody went with her. It doesn't say anybody went with her. I wonder if Joseph, not even mentioned, if Joseph accompanied her. I can't believe he'd send her out there by herself. But it does not say that anybody went with her. And she, she takes this journey, and she goes to her cousin. And um, Elizabeth... Did you notice several times in that passage, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, says something very true and something that she could not know otherwise. And Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, starts to prophesy about what this baby that's just been circumcised is going to grow up and do when he's, you know, so they're seeing the future. They're seeing the facts um, that nobody else could see. This is what the Holy Spirit helps us do. The Holy Spirit helps us see life in a way that other people don't see. Look at our world. I mean, we all see that abortion is a horrible, terrible thing. But there are people out there who don't get it. They don't see it at all. Some of them march down the street, you know, keep abortion legal, you know, woman's choice. They think it's, I read one woman said, I never felt closer to God than when I had my abortion. What? <laughs> she said it was the most sacred moment of my life. You talk about a person whose mind is in the grip of evil, in the grip of darkness. You know, they, they don't get it. And so, the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to help you see, it's called the gift of wisdom. It helps you see life the way God sees it. And the way God sees it is very different from the way people often see it. So, when Mary arrives, and she says, Hi, Elizabeth! <laughs> How you doing? Elizabeth you know, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaims, you know, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Hold it. They don't have telephones. She didn't phone ahead. She didn't send a text, you know, hey, Liz, I'm pregnant. No. She didn't have any of that. She says, at the moment I heard your greeting, Hello, Elizabeth. She said, the baby in me leaped for joy. I wonder, how do you know that the baby's kicking for joy? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but that's what, she says, the baby leaps for joy at the sound of your voice. And um, 
And she says, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Well, what does she know? She knows Mary's pregnant. Mary just got pregnant. I mean, how would... She doesn't show at all. So that's the first thing the Holy Spirit revealed to Elizabeth. That in itself is miraculous. And then she says, how is it that the mother of my Lord... She knows that the baby inside of Mary is God. Whoa! The Holy Spirit can really tell you things. And if you've been listening to Karen Homan's talks, you understand what I'm saying. God, the Holy Spirit, can talk to you and He can tell you things. And He can inspire things in you. Living the Christian life is not boring. When you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, you never know what's coming. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And there we see another thing, that Mary is truly the mother of God. When the New Testament says Lord, that is a word that is substituted for God, okay? When St. Paul writes in Philippians that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, meaning Jesus Christ is God. In the Old Testament, when God spoke to Moses and, you know, Moses said, what's your name at the burning bush? No, or at the burning bush, you know, all the, and um, I am, you know, sent you tell Pharaoh, I am, you know. That name, we don't know how to say it for sure. Yahweh, Yehovah, Jehovah. We, we don't really know exactly how to say it because God's name was so holy they never even wanted to say it. And in fact, the Hebrews got to the point where they never even wrote it. They wouldn't even write the whole name. Okay? They would just write Y-H-W-H and they'd leave out the vowels. How do you say a word with no vowels, baby? I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> Wheel of Fortune can't even do that. <laughs> uh, but, um, so the pronunciation, we don't know, no one knows for sure exactly how to pronounce it. And then the ancient scribes got to the point where they didn't even want to write YHWH. And so they substituted the word Adonai. Uh, in Hebrew, Adonai, which means Lord, for the name of God. And so, in, in modern times, in the last five centuries or so, you know, over in England, you know, you got my Lord and my Lady, you know, and all this crap. And that doesn't mean God there, okay? But when you read the Bible and you're hearing the word Lord, it means God. Okay, when referring to one of the three persons of the Blessed Trinity, it means God. And so, is Mary the mother of God? Yes, she is. You know, that wasn't the easiest thing for the early church. Uh, it, there was really terrible dispute about it. Uh, I think I'll save that for church history. But I'll just let it go for now. There was a terrible dispute, but at the Council of Ephesus in 431... The Catholic Church proclaimed that Jesus that Jesus is a divine person and Mary really is his mother, so she really is the mother of God. It's, it's as simple as that. Jesus is God. Mary truly gave birth to him, so she's the mother of a divine person. Okay, she's the mother of God. Is she the mother of the Holy Spirit? <coughs> <laughs> no, she never gave birth to the Holy Spirit. Is she, is, she, is she mother of God the Father? No, but she is mother of God the Son. She gave birth to that person. Okay, so what day of the year do we celebrate Mary under the title Mother of God? Do you know? January 1st. January 1st, that's right. New Year's Day, Mary the Mother of God. Yes, sirree. Holy day of obligation, my friend. Um, so, Elizabeth, she knows that Mary, through the Holy Spirit, she knows that Mary's pregnant. 
and she knows that the baby in her womb is God, and she knows that you know Mary is truly, by cooperating with the Holy Spirit, the mother of God. And the and and uh, I, I think of this, and this scene is called the visitation. Okay, and when you're praying the rosary, and you've got the second uh, joyful mystery, the visitation. This is what you're thinking about right here. This is this is what you're meditating on. And uh, I've always thought, what a holy hug that was. You've got Elizabeth and Mary. And I'm sure they gave each other an embrace. You know how they do it. They kiss each other on both cheeks, you know. What a holy hug that was. You got Elizabeth with John the Baptist. And Jesus said that there was no one greater than John born of woman. You know, John is like one of the greatest people ever. You've got Elizabeth and John the Baptist. You got the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is the Queen of Saints and the Mother of God. And Jesus, who is God. Whoa. <laughs> you talk about a power hug. Man, that was something else. At the sound of Mary's greeting, the unborn John leaped in Elizabeth's womb. In this day and age, doesn't that tell us something? Where science every day is showing us more and more clearly that the unborn child is a real human being equal to any one of us human beings. And you know what? All of us were at one time an unborn child. We were all in our mother's womb, weren't we? And it's the same person. If you had been aborted, your life would have ended right there. I mean, the humanity of the unborn child is really, really important. I love it. Here in the scripture, the unborn baby, John, he's recognizing the voice of Mary, the mother of God, and he leaps for joy. You know? I think it's so cool. I hope you're pro-life. you got to be pro-life. If you're not, get out. <laughs> uh, we have to do everything we can. I've been working my entire adult life to stop abortion. It is, it is more than we can even imagine. You know, a couple weeks ago, I went to Washington, D.C. for First Communion of a couple of my grandkids. And while we were there, I had never been to the Holocaust Museum. And we took an afternoon and we went to the Holocaust Museum. And it's horrible, isn't it? Have you ever been to that? And I'm sure you all know what, you know what the Holocaust is and everything. I mean, you see the terrible pictures and, and, and all that stuff. And I, I just could not help. The entire time I was in there, I was like screaming. I mean, don't you people see that abortion is the same thing? You know. It's, you, you've, you've obviously have a human being. We've all seen pictures of the unborn baby in utero. It's obviously a human being. But because somebody doesn't want you, because somebody thinks you're an inconvenience, for whatever reason, they're going to execute you. It was, it was just so horrible. And Hitler may have killed... Six million Jews and five million Christians, but we've had over 60 million abortions in America. That's just America. Around the world, hundreds of millions. It's, it is extremely profound. And something that I hope you will take so much to heart um, is... And also, while we were in um, uh, D.C., we went to a place called the Bible Museum. And it's fairly new. And it's, it's pretty cool. And they had a, they've got a theater inside of it, and they had a Broadway show that day, and we bought tickets to see the show. And it's the life of, uh, I think the guy's name was John Newton. And he's famous for writing the hymn, 
Amazing Grace. You've all heard of Amazing Grace. It's a great song. <laughs> and the guy, is, it was the story of his life. And he was just, he's really screwed up his life. And he got into the slave trade. And it was all about the slave trade and stuff. And, and then he, you know, he finally, the, the grace of God finally shone in his life. And he understood. No, these are human beings. We can't buy and sell these people. You know, when I think of slavery, the comparisons with abortion <coughs> scream at you. And so, uh, some of the greatest evils of the last few centuries, you know, slavery and the Holocaust, and today, the holocaust of the unborn babies. I hope you take it deep to your heart and do whatever God tells you to do. Because God can use you in many, many ways in the pro-life movement. And um, that um, just let the Holy Spirit lead you. Because I'm sure every time you got a chance, you should speak up for the right to life. And, and you can do this. You really can. You're college kids. Some of those college girls are going to get pregnant, aren't they? And they're going to say, well, I have to have an abortion. I'm going to college. I can't interrupt my college career, you know. And it's, a, it's yeah. And you're going to be right there at that moment. And I don't know if you live in a dorm or anything, If you, but you're going to... Any of you girls live in dorms? In a girl's dorm? I've lived in one, yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah. You know, I guarantee you most of the girls uh, at a state college or something, they're probably going to say, yeah, you know, you've you got to have an abortion. I had a girl years ago who wrote to me after the fact, and I, I, I do pro-life education at Lehman High School, and I do pro-life week every year with the freshmen right away in their freshman year, and we have five days, we lay it all out, we make it very simple, look, this is a, this is a human being, this is a baby, there's no excuses, there's, there's, abortion is never an answer, you know, we, even if it's rape or incest, we, you should punish the rapist, not the baby, you shouldn't punish the baby for a crime that his father committed, you know, if your dad committed a crime, and they take you to court, and the judge says, we're sending you to jail. In fact, we're going to sentence you to death for something your dad did. It's like, what? That's not fair. And, you know, we should love the mother and love the baby. We should always try to help both of them in every circumstance. We try to do our best to help both of them. But this girl... She went off to college, I think the University of Cincinnati, and I forget what year, junior, sophomore, junior year, she got pregnant, and she thought, oh, I, gotta, I have to have an abortion. I mean, I'm a college girl. I, I can't, I don't want to stop college, I wanna, and I can't handle all this. And the other girls in her dorm, they said, yeah, go ahead, you know, just get rid of it. No big deal. That, that's our culture. That is our culture. Don't let anything stand in the way of your career and, and your money and your plans and your goals. And you might think about that before you have sex, you know. But obviously she hadn't. And she made an appointment at the local abortion center there in um, Cincinnati. And by the way, always watch your language. Never call an abortion center an abortion clinic. A clinic denotes health. Nobody who goes into an abortion clinic comes out healthy. One comes out dead and the other one comes out wounded. It's not a clinic where people get health care. It's a center where they kill people for money. She had made an appointment at the abortion center, and 
She thought that was what she was going to do. She went there. She's sitting in the waiting room, waiting for her turn to go in. And she said, I just couldn't get your class out of my head. Truth is powerful. When you know the truth, it has a great power. And some people know the truth and they deny it and they run away from it. But a lot of people, the truth wins out. And sitting there, she knew that she was going to have that baby murdered. She knew it. The truth had been laid out for her. So you can do it. You can speak the truth. And when a girl you know, you work with, at, you know, I don't know what kind of jobs you got, part-time job, summer job, and she tells you, oh, I'm pregnant, you know, at that moment, you will be God's representative. You will be God's spokesman. You'll be God's prophet, man. And you will say, well, this is a baby, so we can't kill this baby. I will help you. And you're going to take her to the Women's Center in Sydney. It's right behind Culver's Restaurant. And we help women there every day, free pregnancy tests, free ultrasound, you name it. We help, we take care of whatever you need. And that's how you help people. You say, I'll be your friend and I'll go with you. Don't say, oh, you should go to the Women's Center. No, you say, I'll go with you. Come on. Let's go. And you have to make a commitment to be her friend and to help her through it. That's what we do as Christians. That's what we do. We can't walk away. If you were at a friend's house and a little one-year-old toddler, a year-and-a-half-old toddler, fell into the swimming pool, you wouldn't say, oh, that sucks, and just walk on. My goodness, you would jump in immediately and pull the little child out. You wouldn't even think twice. And you'd do it because you know that's the thing to do and you'd be, it'd be so simple. But here we have another baby and it's not so simple. You have to make a commitment. I'm going to love this girl. I'm going to love this person. And maybe this person is not your best friend. Maybe it's somebody you work with, you know, as a summer job. But that baby's life is at stake. you got to jump in. And it's going to be inconvenient, and it's going to take some time and effort, but this is what we do. As Christians, this is what we do. Whatever it takes. That's what Jesus did for us, right? Man, did he jump in. He came down from heaven, and he sure put up with a lot of crap from the human race, didn't he? And he gave it all. And I don't know what God's going to ask you to do, what situation you're going to be in. Sometimes it's kind of simple. I have a film that I show to my students called The Silent Scream. And it's, a, it's, a, it's very old. But it's a, it's a film of an ultrasound. And then they do an abortion. And they film an abortion with the ultrasound. It's, I mean, it's terrible. And it's just a, it's a really great film. It's been out for like 30 years. And they explain what's being done, and then they show the, the film. Anyway, it's a very powerful film. And once you see it, it's really kind of hard to say, yeah, you should have an abortion, okay? So, uh, the freshmen, they all see it. It was, a few, it was uh, I forget when it was. And, um, but sometime later... I have a freshman boy. Boys, you can say babies too. I had a freshman boy. He came up to me at the end of the school day. He said, uh, Mr. Cronier, do you have that, that videotape on, uh, of that abortion? I said, yeah. 
He said, I got a friend, and he got a girl pregnant over at Sydney High, and she's going to have an abortion. She's got an appointment for like two weeks from now, and she's going to go have an abortion. He said, I'm going to try to stop her. I said, great. <laughs> he said, uh, he said Let me, give me that videotape. He said, I'll have him watch it. I said, you think you, you, he said, absolutely I'll get them to watch it. I'll say we're watching tape, man. And I said, well, I have it at home. I said, I'll, uh, I'll get it and I'll bring it to the football game. It's Friday night. I said, I'll bring it to the football game. And so we're, we're up in the football stands and I'm passing on the pro-life tape to him. He said, okay, I'll take care of it. And then after the football game that evening, you know, you're hanging out with your friends and and he said, hey, I got a videotape you guys got to watch, the boy and the girl. And they go to his house. He pops it in. They watch it. Boom. It's all it took. She never had that abortion. Once she saw what it really was. There are so many people who don't know. We had a girl once came into the women's center. She had had four abortions. And she said Planned Parenthood had told her it's like clipping your fingernails. It's like cutting your hair. It, it's just it's just pregnancy tissue. It's, there, there's, there's no baby there. There's nothing there. It's just like getting a haircut or like having your appendix taken out. That sucks. And when she saw the film of an unborn baby, she was screaming and sobbing. What have I done? What have I done? She had no knowledge. It's unbelievable. Sometimes it boggles my mind. How can you be an adult person and not know the basics? I mean, what were you doing in junior high biology and high school biology? I mean, were you sleeping through the whole thing? You know. I had a college girl from Bowling Green once. She was a sophomore at Bowling Green. She came in. She had $300 in her hand. She said, here, I want to have an abortion. I said, honey, we got to do a pregnancy test for her. Oh, I'm pregnant. Don't worry about it. I said, no, we have to do a pregnancy test. We have to fill out our intake form. I mean, she literally <laughs> stepped in the door and put the money in front of my face and said, here's the money. I want an abortion. Well, we filled out the stuff. We took a urine sample while we're testing the, the urine in the lab in the back. We put her in a room, has a TV and a video player, and we're showing her the development of the baby in, in utero. It doesn't take but 10 minutes when our counselor came in. This girl was crying, tears streaming down her face. She said, I can't have an abortion. I'm already a mother. Yeah, absolutely. Sophomore at Bowling Green. And you didn't know this was a baby? What'd you think was in there, a bicycle? <laughs> You know, I, it boggles my mind. But you would be shocked at what people don't know. You'd be shocked. And so sometimes it's just a little loving help. I'll be your friend. We'll save a baby. Sometimes it's watch this videotape. It'll save a baby. But you got to try. You got to try. I had a boy in college once, he called me up and he said, my buddy, his girlfriend's going to go have an abortion today. I said, you got to stop her. And we tried. Oh, we really did. He said, she doesn't have any way to, he said, uh, he's going to borrow my uh, roommate's keys to his car. I said, well, hide the keys. <laughs> and finally they found the keys and... He said, she's going to leave in about two hours. I said, go out and flatten all the tires. You don't have to, you don't have to hit it with a knife or anything. <laughs> you can just go out there and... That's when you drain the oil out of the car. <laughs> flatten it. And he did. He did. He went out and flattened all four tires. She found somebody else and borrowed their car. I said, what's her name? He told me her name. I said, what town is she from? He told me the town, I, don't, I forget, Indianapolis or something. I get on the phone. I start asking the operator, 
had kind of a weird last name. Got anybody by this last name? And they had a few. I called each one until I said, you got a girl at Ball State University? Yeah. Megan's over there. I said, well, she's going to go have an abortion in about an hour. I, know, I said, I know this sounds crazy. I'm a total stranger. I said, but I'm a school teacher. I taught a kid, and he's a good friend of the guy who got her pregnant, you know. And it, that, that is strange. But a person's life is on the line. I don't care if you think I'm strange. <laughs> but I tracked down the mom and the dad. I said, did you know she was pregnant? No, our daughter's not pregnant. I said, yes, she is. And she's going to have an abortion in about an hour if you don't stop it. Get on your cell phone and call her. If you don't believe me, call her. You know, but they weren't very pro-life. The parents, they kind of figured, well, if my daughter's pregnant, I kind of want her to have an abortion. I didn't save that baby's life. I have failed many times. I have tried to save individual babies many times, and I have failed. But other times we've succeeded. You just got to do whatever you can do. So from this day on, you are going to be pro-life warriors and you're going to do whatever you can to help mother and help baby. Help them both. Love them both. I hate the lie that the abortionists tell out here. Oh, you don't care about women. That's so untrue. First of all, half the babies are females. And we do care about those mothers. We help them all the time. We help them with everything we can. And one of the greatest things I can ever do is to help keeping her from making the worst mistake of her life and killing her child. That's really helping her. So, we love everybody. We love mother and we love baby. And if someone's had an abortion, we love them too. We try to bring them to Jesus to find healing and forgiveness. Believe me, it hurts women. It hurts them spiritually. It hurts them psychologically. They need healing. They need forgiveness. So we love them too. Remember, we're Christians. We love everybody. Okay. <laughs> we got all that from that unborn baby. Yeah, jumping for joy. John, weeping for joy. Elizabeth praised Mary for her faith and also recognized Jesus as, as the Lord. Well, we already talked about Jesus as the Lord. What is this? She, recognized, she praised Mary for her faith. She said, Blessed are you who believed that what the Lord said would be fulfilled. Yeah. The angel Gabriel... Uh, who said it? Did the Lord say it or did the angel Gabriel say it? Our seventh grade phenom. <laughs> the Lord speaks through the angel Gabriel. Angels are messengers. Okay. And even though Gabriel said it, actually it's the Lord. Gabriel brings the Lord's word. Okay. So she said, you're blessed because you believe that God would fulfill His Word. Yeah. That's why Mary is the greatest of all saints. That's why Mary is the model of the Christian life. When God spoke to her, she said, Okay, I'll do it. Oh, we had that last lesson. Whoever, Ivan, you were here last lesson. In, in Latin, what is yes? Starts with an F. There's a car named that also. Fiat. Fiat! <laughs> there, oh, I got it, buddy. That's Mary's Fiat. Mary's yes. When God speaks, she says yes. And she believed. And you know, it's not easy to believe. That I'm going to have a baby without having any sexual relations? She said, okay, I'll do it. And she believed it would happen. Yeah. 
Mary's got great faith. And that's what every Christian needs. Have you been to heaven? No. Do you believe it's there? Yeah. Absolutely. You got faith, girl. So you got faith. We have to have faith. Every single thing that God says is true, and it will happen. And that's how you live your life. Everything that Jesus said is going to happen. Do you believe it? I hope so. Start making an act of faith throughout your day. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, my life is yours. This is how you show your trust and just do it throughout the day, every day for the next 50, 60, 70 years. However long the good Lord gives you. And that faith will get stronger and stronger and stronger until, if need be, you'll be a martyr because you believe. Mary spoke a hymn of praise to God. This is called her Magnificat, again in Latin. Um, I don't think this translation says it, uh, and Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. There's a different translation that says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord. Okay? That's where we get this term magnificat. Have you ever heard that word magnificat? There's a little, there's a little scripture aid, a little prayer book that a lot of people uh, use. It's called the Magnificat. Have you ever heard of that little prayer book? Okay. Well, that, that's where the word comes from. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. All right. Uh, our new girl tonight, what's your first name? Stephanie. Stephanie? Oh, Stephanie Esser, that's right. Plyman, daughter of a Plyman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, now, did Mary have any sin? No. Why does she need a Savior? She says, God, my Savior. Why would you need a Savior if you don't have any sin? Because God didn't give her any? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just putting you on the spot a little bit, just to make it fun. Um, yeah, Mary had to be saved. But you would think, well, no, she didn't have any sin. But why is it that she doesn't have any sin? Because God gave her a singular grace. We call this the Immaculate Conception. God gave her a singular grace. Grace is a gift from God. And preserved her free from original sin and from any personal sin. You see, a person can be walking along, they fall into the big mud puddle, and they're all covered with dirt, and then they step out of it, and they go through the, the car wash, and then we spray them all off, and we get them immaculately clean, okay? We clean them up. Or, a person's walking along, and someone says, oh, stop, there's a terrible mud puddle there. Let's walk around it. <laughs> and they never get all dirty to begin with. Well, that's the Immaculate Conception. That's what God did. God preserved her free from original sin and from personal sin. And she accepted that grace. Okay? And so that's how God saved her. In both cases, you end up with clean people. Okay? One... God cleanses us through forgiving our sin. And the other one, God keeps Mary immaculate by not letting her sin in the first place. Okay? Uh-oh. Here comes, here comes Marvin Gaye. Our pet dog. 
It's cutie. Interruptions. Um, so, I wanted to point that out to you that did Jesus save Mary? Yes, he did. All human beings need a Savior. Even the Virgin Mary does. We all need a Savior. For the rest of us, salvation comes through baptism and through faith, and God washes away our sins through His precious blood. When John was named, Zechariah became able to speak again. All right, we've got to go back. When the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, Hey, your wife's going to have a baby boy. And he didn't believe it. And the angel Gabriel gave him a bit of a punishment. He said, You're not going to be able to speak until all these things come to pass. Well, they all came to pass. Elizabeth became pregnant. She gave birth to the baby. And now the baby is just being named as Jews, okay, what do they do? Eight days after birth, the baby is circumcised and given their name. In the Christian tradition, what do we do? We have a baby, we baptize the baby, and we give the baby their name. Alright? So it's pretty similar. Baptism has replaced circumcision. Uh, we'll get into that more later. And so when Zechariah wrote on the tablet because he couldn't talk, his name is John, it had all come to pass. It had all been fulfilled. The baby had been born, he'd been given his name and circumcised, and so it had all happened. And at that moment, he was able to speak again. And what does it say? Filled with the Holy Spirit, he started to prophesy. This kid is going to be something else. You know, he's going to go before the Lord to prepare his way. And it says they were all amazed. And they all said, wow, what's this kid going to grow up to be? You know, what does your future hold for you? Oh no. Nobody does. I mean, I don't even know what future holds for me. The only one who knows is God. Absolutely. God, He knows all things. And if He wants to fill you in, He can give you knowledge, which He does to Zechariah here. But um, usually He doesn't. The Bible says, Thy word is a light unto my path, and a lamp unto my feet. I don't know if you've ever carried a lantern. You guys know what a lantern is? Okay. When I was a kid, we used to go coon hunting at night, and we had lanterns. It was run by kerosene or fuel oil or something, and there's a regular flame in there, and and you, you walk along, and it just, it just shows you a few steps. That's what God usually does. God usually just shows you the next step to take. You pray, and you say, Lord, what should I do? What, what major should I study in college? You know, it took me a while to figure it out, I'll tell you that. I went to Miami, spent two years as undecided. Eventually, you got to choose something, or else you don't get out. Uh, you don't get out with a degree at least. you got to choose something. And so in life, we're always kind of saying, what's the next thing, Lord? What's the next thing? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. What's the next step? And God will give it to you. God will always give it to you. You pray and say, what do you want me to do next, Lord? Guide me. Show me the path. You show me the path for my life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. To be at your right hand forever, for me, would be happiness always. I love that verse. You show me the path for my life. 
In your presence is the fullness of joy. Just to be with Jesus, just to walk with Jesus every day. You're praying every day, praying every day, praying every day. You're walking with Jesus, you got to pray every day. And to be in His presence, to walk with Him, that's, that's the fullness of happiness. And then you'll be with Him forever. John lived in the desert before he began to preach. This is one of the clues that some people think that John might be uh, of the Essenes. Not the Essers. The Essenes. <laughs> now, for those who recall our first lesson, I went over a few things. There's Sadducees, Pharisees, Zealots, and Essenes. The Essenes thought everybody was way too corrupt, and they were going to go out to the desert to live kind of like a monastery type deal. They were going to live a life of complete purity, <coughs> uh, serving God. Okay? And uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered uh, in 1947, down by the Dead Sea, in some of those scrolls, it talks about the Essenes and how they lived a very ascetic life out in the wilderness. Well, that's what it says about John. It says he lived out into the desert until the day he was manifested to Israel. That word manifest means to become seen, to become known. And we are not exactly sure how long G John started preaching before Jesus became a public figure. But it was some period of time, probably a couple of years, that John is preaching and baptizing people in the Jordan River, telling people to get ready for the, for the Messiah. He's coming. He's in, in your midst. He's soon going to make himself known. And, and that's what we're going to see in our next lesson. So our vocab today, the visitation, that's when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Did you see the Hail Mary in there today when we read it? Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, huh? The Hail Mary comes right out of, right out of Luke's gospel. The angel Gabriel said, Hail! Full of grace, the Lord is with you. So the first part of the Hail Mary, the first few words, we're quoting the angel Gabriel. And then the next part, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So the Hail Mary is scripture. You're quoting scripture, my friends. And that's what the Hail Mary was for several centuries. That's all it was, was that first part. Someone we don't know who, added a second part. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Yeah, Mary, in, in, in referring to Mary by her greatest title, Mother of God, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for me. You know, pray for us. Now, I need help right now, every day, every moment, and at the hour of our death. At the very end of my life, before my life ends and I, and I face judgment, pray for me then. That will be a very important moment, won't it? So the Hail Mary recalls the words of Gabriel and Elizabeth. And in that prayer called the Magnificat, Magnificat uh, it's a beautiful prayer. I don't know if you know that priests have an obligation to pray every day. And they have a book. You might see a priest praying out of a book sometimes. That's called the Divine, uh, the Liturgy of the Hours. And in the morning, they have morning prayers. They have midday prayers. They have evening prayers. I forget which one it is. It's either morning or evening. I forget which one. They say this prayer every day, the Magnificat. Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, and, and all the rest of that particular paragraph. That's, that's a prayer that is uh, repeated every day by all the clergy. 
And it's a good prayer for us to say every day too. Our lessons. To be chosen by God often means, at one and the same time, a crown of joy and a cross of sorrow. Mary was chosen by God to be the mother of the Savior. That was a great honor, wasn't it? That was the great... Her, her time with Jesus was the greatest joy of her life. But you know what the other side of that coin is. The sorrow. Mary had great sorrows because of Jesus. When Simeon said that he was going to be rejected, that pierced her heart. Simeon said, a sword will pierce your heart. When she lost Jesus for a few days, oh boys, I'm sure she felt bad about that, you know. And of course, theologians tell us that God had revealed to the Virgin Mary, she knew throughout the whole lifetime of Jesus what was going to happen to him in his suffering and death. Wow. You know, we, we know as human beings that we're going to die. And so when a baby is born, you got all this great, you know, joy. But you know, but you do know intellectually, someday that child's going to die. Might be 100 years from now, might be 80 years from now, might be a year from now. We've had just a terrible tragedy lately. I don't know if you know the O'Leary family, but they lost a little five-year-old girl in an accident got killed. What sadness, what heartbreaking sadness. Intellectually, we know that when that baby's born, there's going to come a day when that baby dies. You know? I think it's going to be so soon. Right. You don't think it's going to be so soon, and you don't think in such a tragic way. But the Holy Spirit revealed to the Virgin Mary what was going to happen to Jesus. So every time she saw this wonderful child, and there was never a child more wonderful than Jesus. And even in his teenage years, in his early 20s, he was still living at home with, with the Virgin Mary. But all the time, in the back of her mind, she knew this terrible sacrifice was coming, where he would sacrifice his life for the sins of the world. Wow. She had great sorrows. And this is the case with you and me. Whatever God calls you to, there's going to be great happiness and joy in fulfilling your vocation. Whether it's religious life, whether it's uh, married life, whatever your vocation is, whatever your career is, yeah, there's going to be happiness there and joy there. But there's going to be sorrow. Uh, I'll just take an example of my career. God called me to teach in a Catholic high school, teach religion. And I love it. I'm doing it right now. I love it. And it's been a great joy to teach all of these people over the years and, and to point them toward Jesus. But there's been a lot of um, pain involved. I have been falsely accused of the most horrible things. One boy about 10 years ago didn't like me. We think, we're not sure, but... Right after he graduated, he put up a website which claimed I was a homosexual child molester. Yeah! And it was horrible. I didn't even know about it until the school called me and they said, somebody saw this website, they called the school, the school called the Sydney police, the Sydney police called the internet provider and they took it down. I never saw the thing, but that's pretty bad that somebody puts up a website saying that thing, stuff like that about you. Um, I, I, I've had, I just, I've had a lot of persecution. I really have. I mean, there have been many, many people who tried to get me fired. They hated my guts. 
one priest, he hated my guts. He wanted to get me fired so bad. He turned out to be a real child molester. And he was kicked out of the priesthood. You know, when you're preaching God's word, when you're telling the truth, people who are living a lie, they're going to hate you. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so you, you just got to be ready for that. And you got to rejoice in that. Jesus said, when they insult you and they utter every kind of slander against you, he said, rejoice and leap for joy. Now I'm getting old, my back hurts, so I can't leap. <laughs> but I can still rejoice. You know, because if somebody's slandering you, saying horrible things about you because of your faith in Jesus, and they will, they will do it all the time, baby. And you just got to rejoice. Well, you're just a stupid fanatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm loving every minute of it, you know. That's, you know, rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. And finally, a child is a great privilege and a great responsibility. You know, Mary was given Jesus. Elizabeth was given John the Baptist. Some of you, who knows, maybe all of you, I don't know, will get married and have children. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a thought? If God blesses you with kids, and God blessed me with seven children, we had three miscarriages, so we hope we have three in heaven, but uh, we raised seven. There's a picture of them right there. We went to the ocean just like you just came back from the beach. We went, I said, kids, take a jump. Well, Maria couldn't jump because she was pregnant. <laughs> Katie was pregnant, but she jumped pretty good. <laughs> um, and uh, so there's a picture of the kids jumping for joy. And that's, children are just the greatest blessing you could ever have. These people who don't want kids nowadays, they don't get it. They, they don't know what life is about. They really don't. They say right now, 25% of people getting married have no intention of ever having kids. A fourth of people getting married are never going to, they call them nuns. No, no, excuse me, I got that wrong. They call them dinks. D-I-N-K-S. Double income, no kids. It's all about money. It's all about careers. It's all about homes and vacations and yachts and nice stuff and jewelry and stuff. Take that jewelry and throw it in the toilet, man. Give me a person. Give me a human being. I would not trade anything in the world for these kids. And I will have them for all eternity in heaven. Everything on this earth passes away. Everything. Except the eternal souls of human beings. So when God gives you a child, He's giving you a person for all eternity. And you talk about responsibility. It's your job to help guide. I know you can't take away their free will. God gives them a free will. And they can walk away from God and they can reject God and that will break your heart worse than anything on earth. But you, you, your responsibility is to try your very best to love them, pray for them, and lead them to Jesus. And if you have that as your goal from day one, you'll be pretty successful. You really will be. Somebody said, well, you can, you can uh, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, if you put enough salt in the oats, he'll drink. He'll drink. <laughs> put enough salt in the feed, he'll drink. And if you teach your children the way to go, if you introduce them to Jesus from little on, 
you're going to have pretty good success. I can't guarantee it, but you're going to have pretty good success. All seven of our kids love Jesus with all their heart. And it's just the greatest joy. So a child is a great privilege and a great responsibility. You, know, you think of world leaders and all their responsibilities, but it's nothing compared to your responsibility of helping that child get to heaven. And we'll talk more about that in a future class. Well, praise the Lord. We have finished chapter one. <laughs> Woohoo! We've got a lot more to go. Um, we'll finish with some prayer here.